Welcome to Health Pulse Podcast. I'm Dr. Connor Delaney, CEO and President of Cleveland Clinic Florida. In spite of the significant challenges during the pandemic, the important work of caring for our community always continues. Today, we're going to discuss our youth and specifically our incredible partnership with Project Lift, located in Martin County, Florida. Project Lift is a nonprofit organization dedicated to improving the lives of at-risk teens and their families through substance abuse treatment, mental health counseling, mentoring, and vocational skills training. My special guest for today is Bob Zakeo. Bob earned a bachelor's degree in psychology from Widener University, located just outside Philadelphia in 1998, and subsequently a master's degree in clinical psychotherapy from Florida Atlantic University in 2007. As a lifelong resident of South Florida's Martin County, Bob's passion for innovative strategies and pioneering change was sparked after working with inner city kids who showed incredible resilience in some of the most deplorable family situations. As his passion grew, so did his desire to create opportunities to solve problems with the youth of our country. Bob is a licensed clinical psychotherapist, certified substance abuse expert, and past commission appointed alcohol and drug committee member. Thank you again for joining us today, Bob. Thank you, pleasure to be here. Through Cleveland Clinic Community Partnerships, we provided funding for Project Lift to purchase state-of-the-art commercial kitchen equipment and create a space for nutrition and culinary programming. Throughout the 12 session programs, the teens will learn about food groups, meal planning, emotional eating, and body positivity. Our Cleveland Clinic Martin Health dietitians will provide a comprehensive curriculum paired with food activities and programming and healthy recipes for the teens. Bob, to start off, maybe you could tell us a little about yourself and your journey to Project Lift. Yeah, sure. Uh, well, thanks, Connor. I appreciate the, the kind introduction and uh, certainly appreciate the partnership uh, uh, here in, uh, in sunny South Florida, for sure. And we were just talking earlier how, how hot it is out there. Uh, but um, I started off, you know, obviously I have a, a, a master's degree in, in psychotherapy and I really started off my journey as being a, you know, a licensed psychotherapist who was just struggling with doing treatment inside of a clinical office, right? So I was specializing in working with 16, 17, 18-year-old um, male patients. And what we know about that particular process, if you're working inside of an office doing uh, clinical psychotherapy, is that you'll see when you say to a kid, you know, so how are you today, especially a young man, I usually get like one word responses, right? So good, fine. Mm -hmm. right? And uh, if you, uh, if anybody, any of the listeners have any 16 year old boys just, and you don't believe me, just go ask them how they're doing and they'll say good, good. And so what I was seeing though, inside of a therapy session was it was taking about seven weeks to really uh, build that rapport um, with the kids that we were working with and the, the teens that I was working with. And so one day, just really frustrated with doing treatment, I uh, brought a fishing rod into, um, into my office. And I said, you know what, I'm just gonna teach this young man or these young men that I'm working with that day uh, throughout my schedule, how to tie a dry fly, which is a fly, a fly fishing rod. So it's a, a, piece of, a piece of bait on the end of a fly fishing rod, plastic bait. I was gonna teach them how to do it. I had a little kit. So I start teaching them uh, the basics of it. So it was about a half hour goes by and we had created 
a, uh, a wonderful little lure that can land perfectly on top of the water and hopefully learn a, a pretty big fish. Um, so at the end of that time, I said, you know what, let's go outside. I'll teach you how to cast that rod into the water. And wouldn't you know, I start teaching this young man how to do it. And before the baits hit in the water, the kid's telling me all about his promiscuous mom and his drunk dad and all the anger that he felt. Now, when I looked at it, I looked back at that, I thought, thinking to myself, well, there's not really a whole lot of uniqueness about taking a kid fishing. Lots of people do it. You know, Connor, I'm sure you've done it, uh, you know, in your lifetime as well, where you mentor people and you do some different things. Um, but what I did that was different at the at, at that time was I called a buddy of mine who was an ASC certified mechanic. And I asked him, I said, would you teach uh, the young men that I'm working with how to do automotive repair while I do psychotherapy underneath the hood of a car, right? Really get into that kid's life a little bit easier. So what we noticed was inside the clinical office, not much of an engagement, but outside that clinical office, you could see that engagement, engagement happen. So that was the, the, the birth of Project Lift. Um, uh, that was uh, back in 2010. I was working with uh, about 19 kids out of a rural community here on the western side of, uh, of Martin County. Um, and now uh, here we are 12 years later, we work with just over 700 kids a year. Uh, we have a staff of around 54 and um, two sites, one in Belle Glade, Florida, which is western, uh, western part of West, uh, West Palm Beach, um, and, uh, and then here in Palm City. So um, now we have some robust programs that kind of go into it. So. It kind of reminds me of uh, some of the stuff we do in hospitals and around operating rooms. And I guess what you're trying to do or what you're doing with that is you create this safe environment they can just relax into. And for us in the hospital, psychological safety is really important. And we try and promote that because then we can have people speak up and feel comfortable making sure everything we do is as safe as possible. So you said you do 700 kids a year. How many do you have currently enrolled at one time and how many would you have currently enrolled now? Yeah. We were just uh, we were just doing our, our uh, we get ready for our all staff meetings on Friday mornings and uh, the numbers just came out for this month. Uh, this month alone, we saw 241 <clears throat> individually different kids. So it was very that we're seeing a, a huge uptick in the amount of service um, that we're providing to the uh, to the community at this point. So typically, it, you know, I would say, uh, you know, if we were taking a look at trying to do the pre pre COVID and post COVID dance, you know, which is uh, Pre-COVID, we were probably seeing about 109 different uh, kids every six months or so, and now we're seeing, like, uh, like I just said, right around 240, 250 kids. Um, obviously, there's been a lot of impact and more need for you and and your team. Um, how how does that affect? How does COVID affect attendance as well? And what about volunteers? Does that give you challenges to have volunteers to help work and teams to help work? You know, probably like, uh, you know, much like you all, um, you know, I kind of, I focus on, you know, March 12th, 2020 being kind of, you know, D-Day. I use that kind of loosely and I know that's not the actual piece, but I look at it and I go, you know, what am I going to do? Here we are, you know, June or March 12th and I'm walking into a normal setting and by three o'clock everybody was closing and we're trying to figure out what to do. So obviously policy changes, procedure changes. I talked to, we have an amazing board of directors. Uh, that uh, as soon as I got on the phone with them that afternoon, I said, look, we cannot close. You know, for us, it, the pandemic was uh, not necessarily COVID-19. It was suicide and drug overdose. We wanted to make sure that we were staying 100% open for the teens and for the young adults that needed us the most. And those were the, the kids that were struggling with mental health issues and so on. So um, that, was, um, uh, that was back, uh, like I said, in uh, March 12th of 2020. 
uh, from that point, we we increased our services by 41%. We never closed, changed our policies, procedures. Uh, we went into obviously what everybody else was doing, the, you know, the, the clean, clean hands, clean surfaces, social distancing and face masks. We incentivized it with our staff. We didn't lose one staff member, uh, member Connor. It was amazing. Our staff just stepped in and said, we're gonna fill that gap. Um, we ended up hiring 12 additional um, employees uh, from that time, some between March and, uh, and June of 2020, we added 12 new staff members. And, uh, and again, increased the services by 41%. Um, so that's, that was what we, you know, we, went, uh, we went after, we very intentional was saying and putting out there in public that what we were about to do was save lives as it relates to the population that we serve. We never went off of our mission. We stayed uh, very, very clear on the fact that uh, we, were, we were there to continue to destigmatize mental health and substance abuse issues. We were gonna teach uh, vocational trades and, and how all that really works through, in, through industry. Volunteers, a little bit different. Um, you know, we had a lot less control over the volunteers than we did with our staff. Um, obviously, our staff really wanted the culture piece of it. And all that comes into this, and, and you know this as a leader of an organization, is that if you don't create great culture up into a moment like that, you're not, nobody's going to stick around, right? So when you have a great, great culture inside your organization where people get it, they want it, and they have the capacity to grow, um, that's uh, you, the end result is an amazing staff who's going to stick with it through the end and, and also uh, through the mission. Volunteers, a little bit more difficult. Most of them, you know, exited stage left and we were okay with that. We had enough to manage as it was. Culture is key and team and people are key, but that's, that's incredible that you, that everybody stayed. I, I think everybody in healthcare, stays. it's been challenging, but so critical for us like you, because the illnesses don't go away and whether it's suicide right. or cancer or cardiac surgery or whatever else, you know, all of our different organizations have to step up, but your, your story there is amazing and impressive. So Bob, tell me a little more. So the, my understanding is that an average cost for a youth in juvenile detention is about $209 a day. Um, and the cost for rehab of one youth or child in Project Lift is about $21 a day. Right. Um, so about a tenth of that. Um, share with our listeners the difference you're able to make with your services. And I think it's almost self-explanatory, but really just kind of highlight it for us that, that uh, the changes you can help these kids accomplish. Well, you know what? We're really intentional with our donor dollars. You know, we are very, uh, very hyper-focused on making sure that we're using our dollars exactly this, the way that our donors need, uh, are, are requesting us and asking us to use them. Um, we don't take a ton of money from uh, federal government or state governments, so we're able to pivot really, really fast and be able to keep our costs a lot lower. So, for instance, um, you know, some of the RFPs that are out there with the state of Florida, whether it's a workforce grant or a mental health grant, they'll require you to add um, an exorbitant amount of case management and some admin that's really just unnecessary that isn't direct service, uh, direct service providers. So when we're able to use individual donors, family foundations, uh, a major philanthropist to understand disruptions, it helps us really drive the cost down and really maintain exactly uh, the outcomes that we really are targeting, right? Destigmatizing mental health, redefining what education is, and then really changing social emotional, um, uh, the way a person views their social emotional life inside of an industry, right? Because industry drives everything. Um, you guys drive everything for us. If I'm not paying attention to what Cleveland Clinic is doing, 
then really what good am I, what, what good am I, right? And what good are we as an organization? You guys are the innovators. I get a chance to follow along and go, all right, you're innovating in a, in a certain way. You're disrupting systems. I'm going to put the workforce out there starting at 14 and 19 years old rather than 25 or 35 years old. And we're going to teach them uh, all everything that you guys are needing from a talented workforce, right? Talent acquisition and retention, extremely expensive for any organization. You know, uh, every time, just in my own organization, when we have turnover, you know, we're talking about a $15,000 um, hit to our, uh, to our budget. So we work very hard on culture, which keeps our costs down, right? I think everybody knows that part. And, um, and, and then we, we strive the best that we can to be able to, you know, keep those courts empty and keep the jails empty and, and work as hard as we can to put great employees out into the workforce. I think one of the other benefits, obviously, is you end up with a, a team and a staff who are more experienced with you longer and then even better uh, what you do. And it's impressive the way you're improving and changing lives and the community, ultimately. Now, you talked earlier on about fishing, but um, you also teach them trades. So what, what trades are you currently offering at Project Lift? Sure. We... What kind of things do you think you might want to add in the future? Oh, wow. You know what? We're constantly, we're such a, 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 our organization is just so hyper-focused on innovation uh, from the, from the top down, it's the culture that we, we put into the organization. And so every single thing that we do is born out of somebody's idea, whether it's my idea or one of our staff members' ideas. Um, uh, you know, we have between 11 and 15 different trades that we teach at any given time. We have about 20,000 square feet of, um, vocational training space here in Martin County. We have another 10,000 square feet out in Belle Glade. Um, uh, and, and with that, we teach welding, carpentry, automotive repair, HVAC, right? All the stuff that's kind of indigenous to the, to the areas. We actually teach barbering and cosmetology out in our Belle Glade site because there's a big move, uh, you know, big movement out there for, uh, for that profession. Graphic arts, screen printing, small engine repair, uh, culinary arts, obviously, some of the things that we're working on in the partnership with uh, with Cleveland Clinic. Um, metal forging, uh, you know, we have a four station metal forge here that burns at 1800 degrees. Um, and it's really quite incredible to see these young folks, men and women, uh, uh, doing this incredible work uh, in, in that particular area. Boat building, boat restoration, solar installation. Um, we, you know, those uh, solar install, um, uh, uh, slow, solar equipment installation is really brand new. It's really emerging in our area. I think every single person on this uh, that's listening to this has probably gotten a, a flyer about solar energy for their house. Um, but this is a little bit different. This is actually about solar fields that's related to NextEra Energy and some of the other um, uh, organizations that are out there. They're really pushing hard to see if we can get talent into the into their hands. So. I'd say right now our biggest, um, <clears throat> most uh, you know, our our newest uh, vocation that we've implemented is the uh, solar power installation programming. And I understand you've had incredible success with the programs that you're offering. Can you think of or share one with us that particularly stands out to you? Oh yeah, I mean, uh, just just this past couple of weeks, um, we started a a camp where we we put a. Um, a training camp out where we were going to target 16 different vocational trades and bring uh, employee uh, employers in. So we had 25 um, uh, industry leading partners come in and train alongside of our in, our instructors, <clears throat> alongside of our instructors and our staff. 
uh, to be able to put into the into the community. We had 20 kids start, uh, we had 20 young adults start that program and we had 20, 20 finish and every one of them got multiple job offers. And also every single one of them are employed for over $15 an hour. But individual successes, um, you know, one of the things I'm most proud about um, with Project Lift is when we started our girls program. Uh, we started a program that was specifically designed to target young ladies um, in the uh, in construction and young ladies in uh, the skilled trades. That started four years ago, and one young lady in particular started our program just about three years ago. Her name is Casey, and Casey uh, just excelled. I mean, you know, came in loaded with trauma, abuse, neglect, exploitation, everything that you can think of. This young lady was was dealing with her with our licensed psychotherapist um, to establish relationship for social emotional learning, uh, started connecting her with businesses in the community. And just so happened, she decided to go into Indian River State College's welding program, graduated the program. And now guess what? She works here as a part-time instructor. And that to me is one of the real, real fruit of, uh, uh, of what we do is to see it kind of come full circle. She also works full-time at another at another welding company. I mean, this is exactly, you know, the the way that I envisioned this 10 years ago, thinking how great would it be to get to a point where we've got our own students coming back and pouring into uh, what we do at Project Lift. Um, so Cleveland Clinic was and is really proud to partner with your organization and provide funding for the commercial kitchen. Um, our first nutrition class kicked off on April 6th. Can you tell us about the current state of the project and how it's progressing? Yeah, this has been an amazing partnership. Um, you know, instead, I, I think that we were really intentional. Um, obviously, uh, Angela and Kelly did a great job of making sure uh, that everything was measurable and everything that we uh, that we were going to work on had a pre-test and post-test, and we were going to see results related to those pieces, which is also good working with a clinician because that's my world. My world is measurement. My world is research. Um, so, uh, yeah, it was, um, you know, back on April 6th, they, they kicked it off, and um, that mm -hmm. kitchen, you know, where when you do things in a, in a very intentional way, you know, something like that, uh, that culinary kitchen could cost $100,000 or so. And we were able to, because of the way that Project Lift functions, we're able to create our own space. We use our construction programs to, uh, to build the space in. So it all became about the equipment. We can concentrate just solely on getting quality equipment in that kitchen. Um, we were able to do that. And we can't thank you guys enough for it. Um, I would say that the biggest component that uh, we were really looking to target and, um, you know, your team did just such a great job of making sure uh, that, uh, that we stayed true to our mission. Because when stuff like this sometimes happens, you can, you can end off on a different mission and that's not, you know, that's not appropriate. Uh, but with this particular piece was how do we put um, the right food at the right time into the hands of these young folks, teach them about uh, the nutritional factors and also connect the dots between behavioral health and physical health as it relates to the diet that you put in your body. Um, you've got an amazing team in there who's, um, who comes in every single week and provides, um, provides opportunities for our young adults through this program to do things like uh, whole grains and sugars and labeling foods and exercise presentations and all kinds of cool things. But as it relates to that, right? I, you know, I, the, I, I couldn't believe it when I looked at the calendar, uh, Connor. So we're already on our seventh session of this and the kids are just loving it. Uh, and the, your staff, I think, is, is loving it as well. 
Um, I'm really excited for session seven because it's uh, hydration and fueling for exercise. That's smoothies, and I'm a big smoothie fan. So there you go. Yeah. That's good. Well, we like to think of ourselves as a team of teams, so it's fantastic <laughs> to see our team coming together with yours. This is yeah. really good. Uh, so our, our commitment to this important initiative to serve at-risk adolescents and increase nutritional and behavioral health has really been a, a top priority for us. Um, our partnership has developed a hands-on education program in nutrition, health, and food preparation. This educational programming is already providing vital life skills um, and enhancing behavioral health services for these teens. Bob, I want to thank you so much for this great conversation and especially also for your vision in setting this up and your continued dedication in improving the lives of our youth. Oh, it's my pleasure, Connor. I, I appreciate the time. To our listeners, to learn more about Project Lift and how you can help Bob and his team, please visit projectlift.org. Join us for our next episode here on the Health Pulse podcast. Thank you.